This is Riveting, a Portland Thorns podcast. I'm Jeanette Hamji, your host, and I'm joined by John Laws. Hi, John. Hi, John. How are you doing, John? Um, getting there. Good. And also joined by Richard Budweiser Hamji. How you doing, Richard? Just fine. For once, I'm not sore. I got no complaints. Everything is good. All right. <laughs> Everything is really, really good, actually, considering what happened that Sunday. <laughs> is coming to an end there's only one more game in the regular season it feels like it's been a month since we last talked but it's only been two weeks and within those two weeks the thorns played four games yeah, crazy so the first game was on wednesday october 6th the thorns were in houston and they played the dash no no this this was in portland they've been in chicago Oh, that's right. Scratch that. I'm thinking about the other game. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. They had to go to Chicago and come back on three days rest and play Houston at Portland and, and, and had another game three days after that to plan ahead for. So it wasn't easy, but Houston was in the same boat. They had to do the same thing. The Thorns lost. The score was three goals for the Dash and two goals for the Thorns. So it was three to two. That one started off with a PK that was awarded to the dash it was a call that was called against Becky Sarabran, a handball. What I remember seeing is she was turning away from the ball and it hit the back of her arm. What do you remember seeing? That's pretty much it. Hit the back of her right elbow with her body, with her arm in tight to her body. I don't know. I mean, I, I've seen that call, but really, really rare. I mean, I would say 95 times out of 100, that's not that's not a, a penalty. If we could afford the video review, I, I pretty much guarantee that would have been overruled. Penso was on a roll, so she gave the she gave the penalty, and and the Thorns were down. I want to say that was in like probably the first 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, it was the 18th minute. And then she struck again because the Houston player basically tripped over the ball. And she called that a foul. I want to say it was against Klingenberg. Uh, Haran. Uh, was yeah. Sorry, you're right. Yeah, it was it was against Haran. And they they got a free kick, which was cleared, but only about as far as the top of the box. And it was recycled, put back in. And Mewis and Bella Bixby both went for it with their legs. And unfortunately, you're not going to outduel Kirsten Mewis with your foot when you're Bella Bixby. And so the Thorns were down two 0 within. 20, 25 minutes. This is a pretty terrible start. Refereeing is like the weather, as you say, John. It's just uh, part of the game, but it can really piss you off. <laughs> well, they're really testing that philosophy of mine, I got to say. PRO seems to be bound and determined to change my mind. <laughs> well, Sinclair got a goal. It was pretty nice. It was a Haran cross into the box. And then Sophia Smith got a goal in the 57th minute. But then Rachel Daly, she had to score again. Yeah, I couldn't hold on to the, the point. Yeah, I mean, that was a tough loss. I mean, I don't, I don't think the team played poorly. But, I mean, between the officiating and, and falling asleep and shipping a, a late goal, that was tough. I'm sure it was tough on the team. Um, and certainly it was tough on me. I wasn't, I wasn't happy about it. Rachel Daly is a good player. I'd take her as a thorn in. Two seconds. She definitely was all over the field and she was playing hard the full 
90 minutes. It was sweet, though, that Smith's goal was a nutmeg on Campbell's. So that was pretty sweet. Well, the thing about that goal that I thought made it both entertaining and frustrating at the same time was that it was something that you almost never see the Thorns do. It started with the ball in Bella Bixby's hands. She booted it long. It went to Weaver, I want to say. Weaver looped a little pass. I mean, basically, Weaver took one touch, looped a little pass up to Horan. Horan made a run and saw Smith crashing the back line and slotted a just a sweet slide roll pass. Smith with a defender on her back. I, I don't know how she managed to stand her feet, but she managed to kind of stagger through the back line, recovered, five-hold Campbell, and boom, from one end of the field to the other in maybe eight to 10 seconds. And the thing is, so, so we can do that. You know, we have that ability to play quick and direct and move the ball downfield with, with one touch. Why we don't do more of it, I, I don't know. We spent a lot of time in that game thinking the ball around the outside of their penalty area, desperately looking for that what final perfect pass or you know that final perfect look and not finding it. I found myself wondering when Smith scored, if she had fallen down, would the ref have called the PK? She was clearly fouled. And I was asking myself, would he have called it? My guess is no, they wouldn't have. I mean, it would have gone another one their way. But uh, you can't count on that on the road. I'm glad she didn't fall down. The refereeing was pretty lopsided. That should have been a draw. Yeah, I would have accepted a draw. Then you say that draw combined with the next two games that we're going to talk about would have been win-win. This would have all been over. <laughs> I mean, we would have won the Shield while we were at home playing the rain or earlier maybe. I mean, it really mattered to us, but in the end it didn't. So the next game was on Sunday, October 10th in Kansas City. The thing that stands out for me in that game and probably for you guys too is that we got a PK called for us and Sinclair went up to take it and she shot it in the same direction. She always seems to, to shoot it, but it went wide. It hit the post actually. And missed the target. Yeah. Did it come off the post? Yep, yep, right square off the post. As far as I can tell, Sinclair's had three opportunities to strike a penalty shot, and she's missed two. So she's only 33% from the from the spot, which is very, very unlike her. Well, it was interesting because during the Olympics, she missed a PK. And then the next PK that they were awarded, she took the ball and she handed it to a different player. There's something that's not working right for her on the, on the penalties. She's usually very clinical. She hit him hard, just didn't hit him straight. Not straight enough, I guess. Yeah. And French, you know, I don't know how many times French has seen Sinclair take a penalty. I mean, like you're saying, Jeanette, I mean, you knew where she was going with it. I knew where she was going with it. Richard knew where she was going with it. Why in the hell AD went the wrong way? I have no idea. You know, it's like, come on, AD. Jesus, where the hell is she going to go? She's going to go lower left corner. That's where she always goes. That was frustrating because the team seemed so flat. And I don't know if it was, it was just tiredness. I mean, they, they played a lot of games. Kansas City did a good job of pressing. Their high press was really effective. And, and plus, they, they basically just, they just sat on a low block, kind of like dared us to come at them. And we couldn't. Of all the games in this series, to me, that was the most frustrating one. Yeah, I mean, we, we played well in Houston. And between not being able to catch a break, making one mistake in the back and giving up the early the late goal and you know Penso's propensity for calling making crap calls 
you know, I mean, yeah. So that, that was a shitty loss, but I mean, it was, the team played well. I don't think the Thorns played well in Kansas City. Of all the matches in that stretch, I don't know what happened, but man, they just looked absolutely lifeless in Kansas City. That field probably has something to do with it. Kind of shaggy, long grass, very bouncy, especially on the side away from the camera, the, the distant side, the third base side. They kept talking about how small it is, but I'm looking at the dimensions of that field and it's like three yards narrower on each side. You know, it's not a lot. It's not really that small. It just looks small because of the telephoto effect of where the cameras are. But same with the Rains field. It's really not that small. Uh, it's one of those soccer things, right? I mean, players talk about the field sizes. They used to call Providence Park a postage stamp. And then we made the field like 12 feet wider by moving the benches around and stuff. And now it's the biggest field in the, in the league. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it wasn't that small. You know, it never really was, you know, so, uh, it's not the biggest in the league, but it's bigger and it, no one talks about that anymore. It's, it's like it's sort of a, an excuse. That's the last time we'll play on that field. Kansas City has made a deal with uh, Sporting Kansas City to play on their field for, uh, next year. Sporting's field is very nice. The whole stadium is very nice. So they draw decent crowds. They get themselves a crest and a name that they can market, play in a proper place where soccer is played already. Heck, they should do great. That Legends field, the baseball field, is just more or less right around the corner. It's 200 yards away from Children's Mercy. So the fans that are already coming there won't have to go any further. It's not like they moved to Tacoma. Then on Wednesday, October 13th, was the makeup game, the game that was called off at the players' requests. And it was at home against OL Rain. And that one ended up a 1-1 draw with another PK call at the very end. Even worse than the last one. This was an absolutely unjustifiable call. So I had this bad feeling right from the start of the game that the referee was going to be a problem. And it started about two minutes in when uh, Lindsey Horan was hacked down at the midfield line by Sofia Huerta. And the ref was looking right at it and waved it off like it wasn't a foul. And you see the replay, it was a yellow card foul. I mean, it was a very clear foul. It hurt Lindsey. And, and she acted like there was no contact, the referee. So I mean, the referee was mailing it in from the second minute and uh, she was loafing around the field. She made several bad calls, not just that one. And when you get to the end, when she's tired, then she made the worst call. Probably she's made in quite a while. I hope, I hope that's the worst call she's made in a long time because it was uh, inexcusable. And it almost threw the whole race, the whole league standings thing out the window, you know, almost did uh, inexcusable. About halftime, I was worried because we've seen this before where we can't seem to put the match away from Tacoma or Seattle or whatever they are. They always seem to find a way to come up with a late equalizer or a late winner. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, shit. Uh, you know, I mean, it looks like Parsons is playing for one goal lead. But here's the thing, though. By the 84th minute, I was like, you know what? It's working. That's the frustrating thing is Tacoma had absolutely nothing. They had zero. They had zip. They, they, the entire match, they had four significant chances or, or, or not, not even chances, half chances, including one decent one was the Rapino header. And that was it. Portland was seeing out that match. Portland could easily have taken that to full time and won one nil. This is one of these referees who like the weather, but when your call is, you know, one of the, you know, quote unquote keys to the match, 
that's a problem. And that call absolutely was key to the match. At the time of the of the penalty, with the time the penalty was called, Tacoma's XG was 0.6. They hadn't even managed to manufacture a goal yet. Okay, that's how bad they were. And in one bad call, it changed the entire complexion of that game. And we weren't bunkering either. I mean, we had 20-something shots. I mean, we were all over them. We were controlling the pace. We were controlling the play. We were controlling the opportunities. We were bossing the game. Laysome had two shots, none on goal. Marosan had no shots, zero, none. We completely nerfed the French mercenaries. Parsons had that game figured out. So it was Simon who was the referee in Houston. Penso was the referee against against Tacoma. Penso completely changed that, that game. I hate bitching about referees, but there's no real other way to see that. You know, this, this game followed a pattern. I mean, I seem to recall a game this year where we scored in the first 15 seconds of the game or something like that, 30 seconds in, and it, it, the game ended one nothing. We played like 93 and a half minutes <laughs> of defense, you know, offensive defense. We've won a lot of games one nothing, including a, a notable one on Sunday. We can certainly do it. When it gets to be about the 80-somethingth minute, 88th minute, 85th minute thereabouts in most of these games, then they start slumping back. And then it gets kind of all one-way traffic coming at us for the last 10 minutes of the game or so. It's a natural thing of being tired and the end's in sight and you let down a little bit. And I don't know. I mean, that's why that's sometimes why they, the coach wants to make late subs is to kind of prevent that phenomenon or try to slow it down. But regardless i mean there's just that tendency to do that uh the thorns don't i mean they do that but they don't they don't get worse for doing it usually well they didn't in this game either i mean we didn't concede anything morgan weaver had the early goals she scored in the the third minute was that her first regular season goal for the thorns it was it sure was yeah i think she scored three times now and they were all game winners including that one which should have been a game winner it wasn't her fault it wasn't it wasn't the Thorns fault that it wasn't a game winner but she yeah she scored the winner against North Carolina last year and the Challenge Cup where we had been so bad we were seated last went into the playoffs in the last spot beat North Carolina one nothing that was a bargain weaver goal the ICC final she won that late shot beat Leon and now this one so yeah that's great I mean I'd, I'd rather that she did this more than once every three months or six months, but every other game would be lovely. But yeah, she's, she's, a, she's dangerous out there. And, and, and the fact that she scored this means that coaches of the other teams now have got to, they can't just ignore her and focus on Smith. You know, they got to give a little respect to her, to Morgan as well. And that's going to make it harder for him. Well, this was also the first game in this series where Dunn didn't start. She came in as a sub for Christine Sinclair. Yeah, Crystal Dunn, late match defensive sub was not on my Thorns 2021 bingo card. I'm fairly sure we did not make a deal for her to be Christine Sinclair's legs in the last 20 minutes of the match. But, I mean, on the other hand, frankly, she did fine. She helped kill off the match. Did the same thing again in Houston. Maybe that's her role. I mean, she doesn't seem to have been able to find another role, so... Maybe that's what she does for, you know, the rest of this season. And then hopefully when the new coach be able to figure out what she really should be doing. The alternative would be to flip it around, right? And have Dunn start and Sint come in to place her. There's no reason that that couldn't work just as well or better even. Let Dunn wear down the opponent a little bit so that when Sint comes in, she doesn't have to be as fast because the opponent's a little bit gassed, you know. 
So maybe that would work the same or better. I don't know if Christine would allow it. So there's that, there's that element to it. You know, and there's only three games left potentially in her career even. So we'll see about that, but it's just hard to say no to her. Well, and the other thing too, is that she's one of our more consistent goal scorers, regardless of how many PKs she's missed. Then on Sunday, October 17th, Portland went to Houston or was in Houston and they played the dash. The score ended up being zero to one in Portland's favor. Portland won the shield. Mark Parsons became the winningest coach in NWSL history with his 82nd career victory. It was the club's 12th shutout of the season which set a new single season club record for the Thorns. And it tied the league's mark as well. It also matched a club record for road wins with six during the season. And it was Haran's 25th goal of her NWSL career. Obviously the outcome of this game was fantastic. That's what we wanted. And thank you to the Washington Spirit for making it possible, beating the rain at Tacoma, which hadn't been done by much of anybody since Ben Steedy left. That really helped, helped our cause a lot, made up for the PK almost, so that had given them the possibility of taking it from us in the first place. So that all evened out. Parsons commented, and I was thinking it at the same time, is that this was the first time that he'd ever been to Houston when the weather was not shit. <laughs> it was 69 degrees, no humidity, no wind perfect night could not possibly be better unheard of at houston unheard of just one of those days there's, there's about a three-week period of the year at houston when it's nice and that was this was one of them so that helped a lot i mean that's always been our downfall going there i think so we just can't just can't do it for that long Heat, humidity yeah it's always hot it's always humid but it wasn't this time and that helped a lot so that and the, and the fact is thorns in the last in my opinion anyway Leaving out that Chicago game and the Kansas City game, you take those two out of the equation because they were just both like odd outcomes, right? But maybe the last 10 games of the season, if you take out the play of Haran and Sarbron and Dunn and just stick to everyone else on the team, the team has been getting consistently better match after match after match. Rocky Rodriguez has been improving notably. Every match, she's better. Every match, she's more aggressive. Every match, she's more dangerous, uh, making better passes dribbling better she's always been good at but just seems to get better Angela Salem has basically never never not been great but she's been even greater toward the end here Quika has come on like like fire she's just like out of nowhere not nowhere but I mean over this time over the last third of the season she's just become one of the best fullbacks in the league maybe in the world and she was okay before but now she's great and then other players have kind of stepped up a little bit too, like Weaver. And seeing Weaver and Smith on the field at the same time, which is very refreshing to see finally and see what an immediate impact that had. And then the fact that the other Thorns, the, you know, the longtime Thorns like Klingenberg and, and Mangus have just been solid. So, so all that was coming together. It was just gelling really well. 
and this is what you want, right? It's when you want it to come together. The last three weeks of the season. It's when you want to want to peak when you're heading into the playoffs. And here we are. And I think I thought I don't know if he's did it on purpose or what, but or if the team just did it for themselves. But whatever brought us here, we're in a real good place right now. You know, three more games to go. And then Parsons can pick up his wooden shoes and hit the road. Weaver's just crazy fast, blows everybody's doors off. You know, Rodriguez is, is doing all this fancy footwork. All those players are doing great things. Now, what we've got to do is we've got to put everything together. And at the same time, the defense has got to play like they've played for the last two games, uh, particularly the center backs. I've just been blown away by how good both of our center backs have been. And and I had some real issues with Sauerbrunn earlier in the season. I didn't think she was playing up to her potential, but she has really stepped up. So, yeah, I mean, all that energy in the attack, all that steadiness in the back. Yeah, could we go all the way? Sure, we could. Depends on who we meet. Through all of this, starting on Wednesday the 6th, the teams have been gathering at the center circle for a moment of silence and recognition of what's going on in the coming together of the players. So all of that has been kind of an undercurrent to the whole series of games that's been going on. And now a moment after six minutes. This was a similar scene about a half hour ago between Gotham and Washington Spirit. And if this isn't a shut up and listen to these players moment, I don't really know what is. Um, devastated, disgusted, but I'm not shocked and that's the problem. Um, Again, I mean, I played in this league where this was normalized. That's not okay. I mean, now being a mom, stepping outside of it, I have young kids, two baby boys. I never want them to face this. But these women that have had to face this that felt like they didn't have a voice, they were too scared to come out and speak, that they were scared of losing their job where they get paid nothing anyways. I mean, imagine being put in a situation like that. Imagine someone like myself that I am always been outspoken that was scared to say anything about it, whether it was from coaches, whether it was that verbal abuse, was there that emotional abuse, abuse is abuse. And again, for these players that are out here on the pitch tonight, I genuinely don't know how they're doing it. That was Kaylin Kyle and Matt Peterson during the North Carolina versus Louisville match held on October 6th. You can find the rebroadcast on Paramount Plus. Okay, I've got a question for you guys. Who do you want the Thorns to play in the semifinal? Do you want it to be? Here are your options. Huh. Louisville? Kansas City? No, right, no. Shucks. Let me, let me, you know, you know. Okay, there are two teams that have secured their position on the table. They're not going anywhere. The first one is the Portland Thorns. They're in first. The second one is Orlando Pride. So Orlando Pride has secured their spot there eighth. Racing Louisville and Kansas City are either going to be ninth or 10th, so they're out. If we beat the Courage, they're also out. If Gotham wins out, they have to play Kansas City, and then they have a home-and-home home with Louisville. If they win out, Gotham will end up with 41 points. If O.L. Reign wins, they have 42 points. If Washington Spirit beats the Houston Dash, they'll have 39 points. And if Chicago Red Stars beats Orlando Pride, 
they'll have 38 points. So if that was the result, O.L. Rain would come in second, Gotham would come in third, and Washington Spirit would come in fourth. Now there's other things that could happen. O.L. Rain could lose to Kansas City and Gotham would be second. There's Washington and Chicago could change places as well. If Washington Spirit beats Houston, Houston will be the sixth place team and Chicago Red Stars would be the fifth place team. If, I've done, if I'm looking at this right. So the team I would most want to avoid would be Washington and O.L. Rain. Any of the others are fine. Uh, I'd just as soon not play those two at all, if possible. But I mean, if we have to play one of them, I guess it would be in the championship. And I don't care which one it is then. It's all bets are off in the championship. But uh, I, Washington's on a roll. They're good. They're fast. They're young. They seem to be somehow holding their shit together in spite of what's going on with the rest of their club, which is a kind of amazing piece of work in its own right. Somebody talked about how the players, and they're talking here about the thorns, but it's got to be true of the spirit as well, that they are spending all of their personal free time on the phone or on the internet sending emails, trying to organize things and deal with the PA and deal with the front office, get their positions cleared and work with the player associations, public relations staff, and so on. So they're spending all their time working on off-field stuff, all their free time. Charlie's working on her collective stuff, not alone, of course, but I mean, there's just a lot of things going on off the field. And that's equally true in Washington or maybe even more so. Oh, more so. Yeah. What a mess. Because this guy Baldwin is just being a complete ass. I don't know if anybody knows that there will be a team in D.C. next year. Talk about buyers, but he won't drop the shoe and say who they are. It sounds like he wants to stick a finger in the eye of the other majority owner, Kang. I mean, he just really, really hates her. I mean, he could sell the team to, you know, some venture capitalist that's going to strip it down to the parts and sell it to Tucson. I don't know how the hell the, the spirit players are holding it together. In a way, I'm, I'm frustrated because they're being rewarded after having been the bad actors of the, the NWSL as far as COVID vaccinations go. You know, it is what it is, and and they're 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 doing what they got to do. So yeah, you're right. I don't particularly want to see them until the final. At, at if that Tacomas are they're our jinx team. They seem to have a way to uh, give us trouble. So I would just I'd I'd assume anybody else other than those two. I have no particular preference one way or the other other than that. And I guess I would have a preference in the final if it comes down to it. I'd rather have the rain just because they are also a West Coast team, so they would have the same travel time zone True. disadvantages that we have versus True. playing say dc who's in that time zone and it's a short trip yeah the others at houston obviously we can beat houston we just did we can beat carolina we did and we're going to do it again i'm sure and they are really falling apart i don't think they're going to make yeah. it anyway i don't think i don't think i've ever seen anything like this i mean we got beat by the red stars but that was in their barn on a bad day and uh, yeah that was a that was a weird game. It was. I don't know. I don't, I'm not afraid of them. I don't fear them as much as I would Washington or O.L. Rain. And even fear is the wrong word. But just feel like we don't get a break, right? And so if we're going to have one thing go against us, it would be the, the only thing that mattered in that game, just like that PK. Right. Turned the whole game one little thing, right? It would be that same deal. You make one little mistake, Trinity Rodman's all over you, scores the goal, it's over, you know? That could happen. It's not likely to happen in Chicago. Well, I guess Mal Pugh could do that too, but I like our chances. I think we are peaking at the right time, and I think barring a, a bad injury, 
either in this next game or in the with the Nats away. Barring an injury there, I think we're in a position where there's no excuses at this point. We're on a roll. We're doing well. The team is being a team. They're all playing for each other really well, really strong. Morale is obviously really high, and they're powering through the bad stuff. So it doesn't get better than this. Let's do our listener question. This is from Amy. Hi, Amy. Now that we're at the end of the season with both expansion and college drafts coming, I'd like to hear an opinion about a current protected list for the Thorns. Does it change with some underperformance of certain players and the overperformance of some very promising draftees in Alley and Coffee? I'll jump in there and say on the latter question, no. One week or two weeks performance one way or the other doesn't matter. These are long-term strategic decisions that you're making, especially as regards the expansion draft. The other thing I think about the draft is that you can only protect nine players. Ultimately, that means we're going to lose two players, and they're going to be two players that we don't want to lose. No matter who they are, no matter which the two are, it's going to be someone we don't want to lose. And there will be tears shed, and we'll move on. We have a very deep squad. And no matter who the two are that ultimately get lost, we'll move on. We'll keep going. And we'll compensate for it as we can with trades or college draft, or probably not college draft, but trades anyway, or something to compensate for it. I don't think it's worth breaking the bank. I don't think we even could break the bank to give Kansas City to give us their immunity. I don't think the players that we could lose are that critical to the team's future success. It'll be painful no matter who it is. But if it's Kelly Hugley, if it's Klingenberg, it's going to be horrible. You know, whoever it ends up being, it's no diss on them, right? I mean, <laughs> we can only protect nine. That's really, I think, the critical issue is that the the protected list for this one is so small. I mean, we're going to have a hard time protecting veterans that have proved themselves, much less players like Coffee that have not played a minute in the NWSL. To throw protection to the this year's draftees when we're not going to be able to, you know, we may not be able to protect Quika or... You know, we may not be able to protect Salem. That's no, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Let me refresh your memory as to what our protected list is. From last time we talked about this, we have Smith, Horan, Dunn, Weaver, Mangus, Quika, Rocky, Hubley, and Bixby. So Hubley is on there. Salem is not. And that could change. Understand this is a club strategic thing, and they know these players as people better than we do. It's entirely possible that they would feel obligated to protect Christine Sinclair and Klingenberg just because of their service to the club. They've been good servants to the club, great servants to the club, and they deserve it. And even though you may game the system and say, well, they're probably not going to get taken, so we could leave them hanging out and we probably won't lose them, that may not be good enough. And the club may feel obligated to protect them. And that would leave someone like Hubley hanging out and probably, in her case, probably taken. Yeah, probably taken. And maybe we could then make a deal to get her back or something later on. Like we've done that in the past, so it could maybe happen. But uh, my point being, no matter who we lose, we're going to cry about it. It's going to hurt. I was asking if your protection list has changed. Mine has not changed. No, and neither has mine. I just want people to understand that our criteria are not the same as the club's. And they know what they've got to do. They know the personalities of the people involved better than we do. They also know the contractual status is better than we do. They may be obligated to cover some of these people, so I don't know. 
I don't think anybody's going to think that we have the list. I know. Like, just being clear about, I mean, we've had lots of people crying about Heath not being protected when there was a good chance she wasn't coming back, right? It was the right person to leave open. But some people have taken the attitude that we did that to hurt Heath. It had nothing to do with Heath. It had to do with who we did protect, not who we didn't. Right? And that's going to be the same this time. If we don't protect Salem or we don't protect Hubley, it's because we had to protect somebody else who was more important to the club for whatever reason. It's nothing to do with Hubley or Salem. It has to do with the nine that were on the list. Right? It's going to be an emotional thing. And just get yourself ready for it because it's not going to feel good. I'll tell you that now. Then she goes on to ask, regarding the college draft, are there any college draftees to keep an eye on for selection by the Thorns? Normally, I try and follow Henderson. But I'll be honest, with all the nonsense that's gone on this year, I really haven't been paying attention to the NCAA. So, no, I, I don't have any names. I looked up Henderson's stuff today just to see who's on that list. It's a very shallow draft. And here's the thing. We have the worst draft picks. We won the league. We're going to be at the bottom of the stack for draft picks. I uh, got to keep in mind that not only are we the bottom of the league for draft picks already, the two new teams will be first. So they're going to have one and two, and we're going to have 10. So 12, you know, so we'll be down there at 12 with our first one. And when I look at that list, I've heard of three or four of those players, but, but that gets us down to number four, <laughs> nowhere near number 12. So I don't think we can expect anything from the college draft. I don't. And that doesn't mean we won't draft some people, but we don't have anything to trade to move up. I don't see a, a Sanchez or a Smith in there that says, oh, we must break our bank to get this player. I also don't see a hole in our lineup that that badly needs filling. Left back is kind of an issue. It sounds like Kristen Westfall's having some issues of her own, and who knows if she'll be able to play, but we might have an issue to deal with there. And depending on who gets taken, we may lose some depth in a couple spots, but I don't think there's a whole lot we could expect to fill in from the draft. But if anything, it would be a, a defender of some sort, in my opinion, and they usually do go down the pile anyway. I mean, they tend to not go first, uh, Emily Fox aside. Most of the time, it's not a center back that's going first. And then the last part of her question, and regarding internationals, we do have some unused slots. Are there some internationals that you'd love to see in a Thorns uniform or ones you think would fit well with a Thorns style of play? Same thing. It's like, where's the holes, right? Where are the holes? Like, sure, Wendy Renard, why not? Seriously, that's not a problem area for us, right? So why would we try to get her? And the price that we would probably have to pay for her might blow a hole in our roster. Honestly, I could see selling those slots. They're worth about 150000 a piece. Sell two of those, you can buy somebody pretty damn good. So do you want to make predictions for the... Portland, Thorns, North Carolina game. It will be the final game of the season. As all regular season finals are, there'll be great TIFO and celebrations and players going up to the stage. Capital stage, yeah. I don't know, in the age of COVID, will they be doing that? Why not? We're all vaccinated. Also, the Rose City Riveters Player of the Year Award will be presented Voting is open until 9 p.m. on Sunday, October 24th. I will add a link to the voting page in the description of this podcast on rivetingpdx.com. 
and also on our Twitter and our Facebook page, both of which can be found at Riveting PDX. Angela Salem, by the way, that's who it should be. Who do you think should it should be, John? Uh, I voted for Quika. I'm basing it on the whole season's body of work, and I think Salem has been steady since day one and getting increasingly better all along. Quika has definitely been great for the last third of the season. Well, last half of the season, really, but she struggled at the beginning. Uh, yeah, she did. But I mean, the difference is that she, as as a player, has been more of an impact player. One of the funny things is every time I, I, I do the tape review, I keep trying to, to find things to, to, to mark up on Salem. And usually I never find them. And it's because she's the ultimate, sort of the ultimate team player. She does everything in a group. You know, you almost never see her, you know, make that one devastating stop or, you know, she never makes that amazing pass, but she's always kind of just there. She's working with Rodriguez. She's working with Sinclair. She's working with Dunn, pressures. She distributes, you know, she does all the things she always does. It's never really spectacular. So, so I guess I look at that and I'm like, you know what? That's a that's a great squad player. You got to have that. But I'm like, who did I think had an impact on the season? Mm, I don't know. Maybe not so much. I don't know. Somebody pointed out that the supporters player of the year award is not really an MVP. As no, well. it's a it's a it's a beauty contest. Oh, no, no. Come on. Be fair. It's who embodies <laughs> the ethos of the team. Come on. Right? We, we voted. We voted for Beethoven in 2015 because she scored a goal. Well, yeah. Uh, and that was that was utterly adorable and it was one of the most wonderful well, moments that I, I can think but, of. But, that was know, not why Emily Megas won. Sometimes it's a it's a lifetime achievement award, like for Christine Sinclair. And maybe next year it'll be that for Klingenberg. Who knows? It can be all kinds of things, I think. But it's who's captured the imagination of the supporters, uh, who people really want to see. It's a lot of little things and and it's there are a lot of intangibles, I guess, in it. One of the things, too, of course, especially when you're a defensive-oriented player, is not making mistakes. And that is a very big deal for someone in her position. I mean, she's not Amandine Henri, but she's as close as we've gotten to Amandine Henri since she left. She's been very solid. I will agree. What are your predictions for that game after all of that? What do you think the scoreline is going to be? John, let's start with you. I think if we start the regulars... I'd say it's going to be, uh, what the heck, 1-0. That's kind of like a tradition. What I kind of like to see, I'd like to see some real heavy rotation. You know, I'd like to see some players we hardly ever see, like Ryan and Pogarch and, you know, all these reserves that are never getting another chance. And those guys, that might be a riot. I mean, that could be like 2-0 or 3-0 or 4-0. Who knows? 3-1, 4-2. I mean, that could be just an absolute panic. But like I say, let's go one nil. Yeah, you're talking about one like that, uh, the, the Houston game in the WIC. Oh yeah, the crazy Houston like, game. Yeah, where Hogan's in goal, and yeah, it's like all these right. guys. Who oh, the yeah, heck exactly. is that? Yeah, right. There, I'll I'll say one reason I don't think that will happen. Okay, my only reason I don't think that will happen is because, well, two reasons I should say. One is you don't want to back into the playoffs. That's true. You want to go in with your, you want to go in on your front foot, and you want to. That means you go in with the players who are going to do it for you when you get there. So that's one reason. And the other reason is that we have a clean sheet record on the league, clean sheet record on the line. Oh, I didn't think about that. And so I would want to have my number one defense in there to make sure that we don't concede anything dumb. If they get a goal, oh well, but you know, it's not going to kill us. But I, I would make a pretty heavy effort to get that for Bixby and get that for the defense to get that record. Because right now it's tied. That record is tied. Right. I'm, I'm with you. One, one nothing, maybe two. 
this is where Carolina has fallen apart. I mean, people have thrashed them. <laughs> they gave up three, three games in a row. They've given up three. So theoretically, I should say it should be three nil. That's what everyone's done to them. That's what Gotham did it to them just the other day. I mean, and that was at their house. <laughs> their defense is checked out. So it could be even worse. That's all the time we have. Let's sign off. Good being here with you. See ya. Now, now we get down to the real good times, you know, one game that doesn't matter but should be fun, and then two games that do matter and hopefully will also be fun. Thank you. I'm Jeanette Hamgee. Thank you for listening. This has been Riveting, a Portland Thorns podcast. Mm-hmm.